Welcome to episode two of Tusk Talk. Here I have with me two of our teammates from Team Tusk. We got the one and only Josh Hand of several Star City Top 8s. How you doing? And we got Evan Uberwukarung, or however you pronounce it, the German <laughs> translation of choke. How you doing, Evan? Doing good. How about you? Man, I'm doing well. Doing well. Cool. Yep. So we're coming off a pretty big weekend. We had a Star City Open here that we all went to. I know that Evan and myself placed terribly, but we got Josh here. He, did, he got ninth place, just barely made, missed the top eight. Squeaked out, yeah. It was kind of rough. Yeah. What all? What did all? What all did everyone play? Um, I was on Enchantress there, just uh, green white, no black splash or anything. How about you, Evan? I was playing um, blue green twelve post. Nice, nice, very yeah. nice. New Ulamog in it. Yeah, I, I I saw from our practice matchups that new Ulamog really does have a place in that deck, man. That card can just deck you out in two swings. Yeah. yeah. I was on the Merfolks myself. It turned out to be a bad choice for the weekend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How was, uh, was the Exile 2 ability on the new Ulamog any different from the first one? Like, was that ever relevant? Uh, I was, I mean, I guess I had, like, a win more... Uh, it didn't have necessarily, like, a full, like, lifesaver, you know, give me moment with it, but I was basically uh, playing lands. I had uh, Bazooka bogged him, and then um, I basically had he – was, he was out of cards in hand, and but he, I know that he had had uh, – he had the Mana Bonds out, uh, Maze of Ith, a Dark Depths token, and two Tiagas. Um, and I basically had out prime time, and I was basically the full engine was on blast, and uh, that turn I got him out um, after Bazooka bogging him and took out his mana bonds uh, and took out a Taiga and then got out um, another prime time, and it's just he basically just scooped and didn't want any more. After that, I mean, <laughs> left, really, because he had no cards, no graveyard. Um, and I had, you know, two prime times and uh, basically, you know, Emrakul's on the way. I Ugin out. Yeah, it's going to take a lot for Lance to start getting rolling after they lose their whole graveyard in the top decking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, You know, people talk about 12 posts like it's one of the more feared decks out there. What is it that you really have trouble beating with that deck? Um, you know, I'd say a lot of it is, like, based on, like, the mull, you know, like how you're mulling in the first game, the second game. I mean, pretty much all the way through. Your, your hand that you keep is really important. Uh, I think Needle is really strong in that deck. I think most people push for two or three, but I'll probably start running four. I think it's just one of those those really strong cards as long as you understand, you know, where it's appropriate and how it's going to save you. Yeah. Um, Wasteland's just back in full force. So uh, I run a couple trick binds, um, so that helps with Wasteland. So my, you know, lower than need for the needle. But, I mean, I find it, like, just so important. Uh, just I was playing uh, against Lone Pox round one. And uh, I was down to an island and a top. 
uh, in a few cars, and he had uh, Lily out uh, in a factory, and he had his loam engine going on with Wasteland. And uh, I got my needle, and I got it on Lily and locked her down and just taking beats from the factory over and over, probably for like four or five turns, you know. Um, eventually, I, I get my engine back back online, and uh, I find two more needles, and I shut down Wasteland with my top. You know, I find them both, and then, you know, I shut down uh, his factory as well, and then I get prime time back on. But I bazooka bogged him. Previously, he did, I bazooka bogged him, and then he got his engine going again. He found another loam, and then I crop rotation for Vesuva and copied the bazooka bog. So I killed it again, and then I got prime time going, and actually uh, we went, we were in turns, and I had prime time going, and so I, I just had three needles on all this stuff. He had no cards in hand, and uh, I had Titan going off, and he couldn't do anything about it, but it was went into turn five right before I, you know, went in with Emrakul. And then so we ended up drawing, unfortunately. Ah. Yeah, that was, a, that was a tough, it's a pretty tough matchup if you don't, you know, if, if it doesn't go in your favor right away. I mean, see, in game one, what happened was is I mold, I just had, like, the show-and-tell kind of package, and that was the only thing that I could rely on on the first hand, and so I molded away, and then I only got a cloud post in my hand, um, which, you know, isn't, I mold that away, obviously, and then um, I got a decent hand, but he, he basically went into Mox Diamond, uh, he threw out a bayou and threw down a catacomb and fetched, or they threw down the, the catacomb to the Mox Diamond and then threw down the bayou and then hemmed me. And I just scooped. I just didn't even show him anything. Because at that point I knew he was on Lone Pox and with that much, you know, that far behind, you know. Yeah. I didn't, you know, and I, there's just no way I'm going to be able to keep up with that. I'd rather just not have him sideboarding against, you know, 12 posts and knowing what hand to keep. and I won the next game, and then, you know, we ended up drawing the third game, but I had Titan going. Actually, Chris Langston saw it. I was basically fishing for uh, for some sort of creature and show and tell, and then I got out uh, the Titan and started going. But Seems like with your mana base, like your post lands and your Vesuvius stuff coming in tap, that if you fall behind a deck like Lone Pox that's going to be trying to destroy a land each turn, it seems like it'd be really difficult just to come back from that, like, barring just show-and-telling a Titan off the top or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, that was just the whole strength of the needle there. I mean, literally using all three of my needles just completely locked them out of the game. I mean, like, as far as his main threats, I mean, you know, he'd go like a, what, another spirit out or something, and that seemed to be the only other thing that was going to be taking me out at all. But Lily was one of the biggest threats. Wasteland is the other biggest threat, you know. Um, once those are locked out, I mean, it's just going to be a stomp down, you know. And that's basically what it turned into. I mean, it's either like he's going to blow me out or I'm going to blow him out, you know, for the most part. Um, but I have a better chance of blowing him out, I believe, personally. Um, right. That's my first time really playing against Lone Fox, so I was – kind of have to stay on your toes. Um, you know, there's, there's it's just 12 posts can't really afford to lose a lot of cards from hand and can't obviously afford to lose too many lands, you know. Um, and just with the Loma engine, it's just, 
think it's evil, but you know, you have the you have the tools. That's the great thing about twelve posts. It's such a toolbox deck, is that you can fight your way around it, and it's fun to think it through, you know, and try to figure out, you know, how am I gonna get around this guy that's trying to destroy my hand and all my lands, which are pretty much the two most important things to twelve posts. Yeah. So how'd you end up on the day, Evan? Uh, three, three, and one, which is not good, but I could have done better. I mean, I feel like I probably should have taken that Lone Pox game. Um, and then it's hard to play people from your locals, in my opinion. I mean, like, it's just kind of like, it just gets like this little bit of a casual feel, at least for me. I mean, I don't know how it feels for other people, but I ended up playing Rosenblade and Cousin Anthony. You know, and it's just, like, I feel like when I play somebody brand new, like, I just want to, like, I really want to take them out, you know, or, like, there's just this less casual feel. It just feels more competitive, but, so I ran into some locals, and I feel like it threw me off, but they played well, and they won fair and square, but it's hard for me not to, like, you know, get into small talk, and, you know, it's just cool to see each other at an event. It just kind of throws off some of the competitiveness, I feel like, for me. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's why I do a lot better at, like, the Star Cities and the GPs or whatever with, in Legacy, at least, just because when we're playing locally, I just don't ever do well just because I'm always just having fun. And when I get to a Star City, I just get to kind of focus in, zone in, and just focus on beating somebody that I don't know. I don't have to, like, feel bad or anything, you know? Right, yeah. How about you, Andrew? How do you do? For some reason, I just decided to play Merfolk. I mean, I got plenty of cards to build plenty of legacy decks, and I just thought it was a good call. So I've been playing it for a few months now in preparation for this tournament, and I played it the night before in the Legacy Challenge, which is just a four-rounder on the Saturday night, and there were about 25 people in it or so, and I didn't do well in that, and I was playing Chalice of the Voids in the main. So I thought, you know, maybe maybe right now it's just not – Chalice is a little bit slow against all the – you know, faster decks, like decks that want to cast a turn one Delver. So I switched it up. I went home and I put in some dazes and I just kind of tweaked a little bit of the deck. And it just ended up not being a good call for the weekend. I, I Let's see. My round one, I played against Infect, who, and it was the guy who ended up top eighting with the deck. So I don't know if it was just a – I don't know if it's a bad matchup necessarily, but, uh, you know, the dude was a pretty good player. I played him before in uh, – a tournament up in the mountains in Dalton or whatever. But round two, I crushed a Miracles player who tried to trigger his counterbalance on an activation of my Aether Vial. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He doesn't even know what his own card do. <laughs> yeah, I said, activate Aether Vial? Said, sure. And I put in, I'm a master of the Pearl Trident, and he goes, uh, counterbalance? I said, that is a card that is on the table right now. <laughs> so, yeah, I crushed that dude after him not doing much of anything. And um, from there on out, that was my only win for the day. I just kept losing. But, I mean, what am I going to do? I've, I've already paid 30 bucks, and I'm there. All my friends are there. So I'm not going to just stop playing. So I just continued to play it out, and I ended up playing against a Storm Guy later in the day. I played uh, One matchup in particular that stood out for me, I played against this Elves player. And normally at Star Cities, like, half the field, I, like, I feel like a quarter of the field we know at this point. And oh, then, definitely. Uh, or at least, like, Star City Atlanta's. And then another portion of the field is people that travel from the southeast for these things. And then we got the random, like, non-legacy players that get that borrow decks just for the legacy tournament. And 
those are the people that I hate losing to the most. Like, <laughs> like I put so much time into playing Legacy that, like, just by by rank, I should just win automatically over people with a borrowed deck. But I don't know. Stripes. <laughs> yeah, it, like for us, it's just frustrating to lose to somebody that you feel made so many misplays, but either they just had such a ridiculous hand, or they just had a great matchup. You lose anyway. Like, uh, it's the worst. Yeah, but yeah. well, whatever. You know, I can take my licks. But I played against an Elves player, and he ended up top eighting as well. And I I seen him around before. I think he's from Nashville, and he's a real nice dude. And his deck was all foiled out, and he's real tight on elves. But we had one interaction that was actually pretty cool because I I, I uh, came across the same interaction at our local like uh, tournament of super games one one week uh-huh. in the top four battling battling it out and was playing Merfolk versus elves, and he attacks me in with uh, crater hoof and a, you know a pretty massive amount of elves, and I didn't play it right, but basically. Um, where it ended up, I'll explain how I actually did play it right in the Star City. So it's pretty cool. That goes to show you that if you just keep practicing at your local tournaments, like you'll remember plays when you actually need to make them when it counts. So yeah. he, he tries to one-shot me with, he has a whole army of dudes, and he's produced a bunch of mana, and he uh, he casts Crater Hoof, and he gets everything gets plus six, plus six. And there's only two, there's only two other dudes other than Crater Hoof untapped is... Uh, a Deathrite Shaman and a Wirewood Symbiote, which are pretty too, like two pretty uh, important elves for the deck. Definitely. So uh, I have on my board I have eight untapped lands, including one Mutavault, and I have an Eight Devil on two. I have a Master of the Pearl Trident on board, and I have an unequipped Umazawa's Jit, Jite, whatever. And um, so what I do I, is I activate Mutavault with his three dudes attacking me. Then I flash in Harbinger of the Tides, which I find to be a pretty sweet card for the deck. Is that the tap guy? Yeah, they get like blue, blue, and two. Like you can flash him in, and he'll he'll bring back to hand a guy, a, a, guy, a creature who's tapped. Oh yeah, that guy's awesome. So I flash that guy in for four. So I have two more untapped lands, and I put that trigger on the stack, and I activate Aether Vial. For it's on two, mind you, and I put in Phantasmal Image. And I copied the Crater Hoof, and this time I remembered the trigger of the Enter the Battlefield trigger, and I didn't remember that in this in our local Legacy tournament. So all my army got plus four, plus four, which is like, that's, that's why I sequenced it that way, so I could activate the Mutaball and have the Harbinger in, and everything gets beefed up pretty nicely. So um, I, I was able to, that turn, I think I was able to double block his Crater Hoof and um, block something else. And basically kill off his army. Or no, I'm sorry. His crater hoof was bounced after I resolved the harbinger trigger. So he just had two dudes out there, and I blocked, double blocked one of them and blocked the other one. And um, both of his creatures died, and he think he destroyed my mutable. So in my turn, I equip GTA to a harbinger and swing in and try and ping off some of his board so to make him a little bit short for mana on his next crater hoof. Yeah, I kill off the heritage druid and I kill off. Um, whatever the guys is, just tap two elves and get one mana. Which one was that? Uh, that is Birchlore Ranger. Yeah, I killed off that guy in hopes that he just couldn't make it work. I don't know. I was just kind of, kind of hoping he wouldn't get there. And sure enough, he like Green Sun Zenith for one, and then he- gets Heritage Druid and produces mana again and lays down Crater Hoof. And he has Crater Hoof plus one other dude to swing in for lethal. But yeah. He definitely like tipped his cap to me, like on the like thinking outside the box on how to get out, you know, get out of real sticky situations. So 
that was pretty cool that, um, you know, he was a nice dude and played real tight. And it's like it's rare for, to play at a star city against someone you don't know who's actually tolerable. So I said something like that to him. I know it's, I know it's kind of weird. I just said something like, you know what, you didn't annoy me at all. So I know that sounds weird, but, like, you know, it's kind of <laughs> rare that I play against someone I don't know who's not completely obnoxious. And he just kind of said something like, uh, I think I'll take that as a compliment. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was uh, James Hess is his name. Yeah, man, he's a nice dude, and he ended up top eight, and that was cool. So I'm sure I'll see that dude around again. <clears throat> yeah, yeah I've, uh, I've played against him in a past one. I actually played against him Sunday as well. He's he's a good guy. Like, right when I sat down across from him, I knew his one else, and I'm like, oh, there's no way I'm winning this match. Yeah, yep. Well, that's you my story. No, no one, I'm sorry, go ahead, Evan. What was that? You played at our locals? No, no, he's from Nashville. Oh, he's from yeah. Nashville. Okay. Was that the guy who likes German cards, I was thinking. But so, uh, Johannes, I believe? Yeah. yeah. That's one thing I do like. I mean, to sound kind of corny, but, like, the you know, playing Legacy, there is a community for it. And, w- like, when you come across someone who's just as, like, just as focused and, like, enjoys Legacy as much as you do, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Especially, like, you start going to a lot of these star cities you start to recognize faces, you recognize decks, and, you know, it's just it's kind of cool to be amongst people that are like-minded. Yeah, that's what I, I, I just enjoy, you know, the every, I, it's like Sean says, it's nice to play against people that understand how the cards work and just been playing for a while and they're relaxed. You don't have to play against, you know, children that don't understand how triggers stack and... Definitely. It's, it's just not, it's nice to not have a frustrating experience, I guess. All right, well, enough of hearing about the losers. Let's hear about you and your experience, Josh. Tell us what you played. Just talk about whatever you want to you about the deck. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are curious to hear more about Enchantress as it's not really a deck that's considered Tier 1 or in much of the spotlight at all. Yeah, um, I had a pretty good weekend playing uh, just green-white. I've been, I played the green-white-black that Morgan Cooper and Sean have played with, like, a Doomwake Giant. But I really wanted to have, like, main, I like playing main board powerful eight cards, like Rest in Peace. So I, did, I got to play the three Rest in Peace, which was probably one of the selling points of getting to play the style deck. Um, otherwise, like, just a, I enjoy prison strategies, I guess. <laughs> I know that a lot of people in the Atlanta area do as well, so they can kind of sympathize. But prison strategies, just locking the opponent out with the slow chokehold is great. Yeah, um, so you ended up losing two matches. What were your two losses on the day? Um, I lost to Infect, and then I lost to James Hess on Elves. Oh, uh, okay. One more top eight. Um, Infect is just a really kind of a tough matchup because they can, you know, they can kill you on turn two, possibly, and it's like you have Elephant Grass to make them pay for attacking, but they're, all their pump spells, their invigorates are you know, free with a forest, and their berserk is one mana, so it's just really tough to lock them out unless you have, like, a sphere of safety with a bunch of enchantments, but that takes a few turns, so by the time you get that online, you're probably just dead anyway. Um, my list, I get to board in, like, swords to plowshares against them, but you still have to draw them, and you still have to resolve them, which is not easy against a deck with, like, days, spell fierce, force, whatever. And oh. then... Yeah, and then against Elves, it's... I'm not really sure if it's supposed to be a good matchup or not. Every time I've played it, it seems poor, since they have Re- Reclamation Sage, plus they can recur it with uh, 
wirewood symbiotes. So if you really want to get them locked out with, like, a sphere of safety or a solitary confinement, you have to get, like, double sterling grove online. And getting your engine going plus finding two groves and finding a lock piece is just really difficult to do when they can just glimpse you on turn two or three or just hoof you on turn two or three. So um, I went, like, one and one against elves. I played against it twice, and the first time I played against it, I think my opponent just didn't completely understand, like, how he should be attacking the matchup because he never green sun for a Reclamation Sage or anything. He just kind of tried to go aggro on me despite my elephant grasses and such. So I kind of got away with one there, but overall I'm not too excited about the matchup. I think I might try out the uh, Doomwake Giants again because that card's really nuts against them. Definitely, man. Well, I played against you a good bit at our local. What is it? Like, because I've tried different strategies against you. I've tried, like, permanent-based hate. I've tried chalice on one. seems like you're always – the deck's pretty resilient. You're always able to kind of get out of any pinch I put you in. What is it that you think is the deck's Achilles heel? Um, yeah, so Infect seems like a poor matchup because of just their ability to attack quickly and kill you. And Storm is pretty poor unless, like, post-sideboard I get, like, Leyline of Sanctity and Aegis of the Gods and – I guess some people play, like, Rule of Law, even though it kind of is bad against your own strategy. But you do get some powerful sideboard cards against them. And then just, like, Elves, because they're able to get their Reclamation Sage in a pinch and they can go off pretty quickly. So generally it's the bad matchups are the really fast decks. Like, you're pretty good against the slow decks because your engine kind of takes a few turns to set up, but once it gets rolling, it's really hard to stop. Yeah, I find it pretty amusing just going over and watching your matchups, and you definitely hit that point where you know you're going to close the game out, and your opponent's just over there, just, they can't do anything about it. So disappointed, so bummed on their day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I see you have a Replenish in your sideboard. I, I love that card from when I used to play it in uh, Standard. Did you ever cast that card over the weekend? Um, I believe I boarded in a three or four times, but I only cast it once because it's a one-of that you can't really tutor. Um, it was kind of nice, though. I played against uh, James Hess on Elves in one of our games. He was able to wreck Sage, my Enchantress, and my Solitary Confinement, but then I was able to go replenish, get all that back, and then get the engine going and try to lock him out. I was unsuccessful because he got a natural order for Rurikthar, which pretty much killed me right there. But Otherwise, like, the card's very powerful, and it's, I like it against the bug decks that make you, you know, discard your early stuff and then counter some stuff, and then you just rip replenish and kill them. Yep. Well, anything you change about your build for anybody who's looking to play Enchantress in the near future? Um, my build, I felt, was pretty powerful. I'd probably play, like, another fetch land just because sometimes you get stuck on green sources and you don't have the white mana. And some people will play Courser of Crufix, which seemed like it might have been a nice card to have, but probably just the big thing is adding black for, uh, like, sideboard Engineered Plague and Doomwake Giant, just because it shores up your Elves matchup, which is kind of poor, and it gives you Engineered Plague, so you can kind of name Elves or against Death and Taxes name Human. So I kind of like the Black Splash just because it gives you some really powerful cards against some of your poor matchups. I got a question. So at that point, you played three colors? 
What's that? I was, gonna, I was wondering if, like, anyone just went crazy at any point when you just have, like, 25 Enchantress cards out that are all foreign, and you're just, like, blasting off triggers. If anyone's just, like, totally sunk in their chair, just, like, just ready to scoop. Or just, like, if everyone's just totally watching all your triggers and actually keeping up. Um, my Rug Delver opponent, at one point I had Sphere of Safety against his board of just a bunch of dudes. I was at, like, 15 life. I had Sphere with, like, five or six enchantments out, and I just started firing off enchantments. And he got to the point where he was just kind of looking around, just not even caring about the game. And I was like, at this point, he should probably just scoop, right? <laughs> that and the Miracles players, um, I played against Tan Lee, and that was the one where uh, Sean O'Brien was watching our game, and he tried to fire off. He told me that his counterbalance triggers, and then he wanted me to resolve my draw triggers for my Enchantress effects. And then he wanted to trigger his counterbalance. Sean called the judge. Judge came over and explained that when triggers go on the stack, it's active player, non-active player. So by him letting me draw the cards, he essentially elected to pass his counterbalance trigger. And after that, he just seemed so defeated. He didn't even try to trigger his counterbalance for the rest of the game. I just made Never Cool killed him. And in game two, his hand was just completely terrible because he didn't really do anything. And then he just, I don't think he cast more than two spells in the second game, and I just crushed him. <laughs> awesome. Am I echoing right now? Yeah. Let me put in some headphones real quick. I was going to say, if people are going to play counterbalance, they should learn when to announce their triggers and not let people resolve spells. Yeah, Brendan Hagen was talking about that because he plays elves, and, you know, they have their glimpse triggers when they cast their creatures. He said that a lot of the times his opponents will try to let him resolve his glimpse draw trigger from whatever creature he cast and then try to counterbalance. So I guess it's, you know, at a local level it's one thing, but once you get to those higher levels, you don't really want to let people get away with it because if you're going to play that deck, you should kind of know what you're doing. And looking through your build, I see, I guess your kill is one Emrakul and you have the helm rest in peace combo, which... Which uh, mode of victory did you normally take? Um, a lot of the times against, like, some of the quicker... It was just quicker to, like, find the helm because I was playing um, a main deck E-Tutor as well. So a lot of the time it was nice to just quickly find that. But against the blue decks like Miracles and some of the Delver variants where they have a lot of counter spells, they just counter the helm. So you kind of need an uncounterable win condition like Emrakul. That enchantment where if you cast an enchantment, it generates an angel. I see you're not playing that in this deck. That is uh, Diggle of the Empty Throne. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the card a lot. It's, it's really good just because even if you don't have an Enchantress engine going, you can just kind of make, you know, make an elephant grass and then make an angel, and it's really powerful. But I was, I just really wanted to be able to have a non counterable threat mainboard. So that was kind of my reasoning for that. I think it might have a place in the sideboard at least, though. So I was looking. I see you're playing. Some, you're playing a banishing light in the main deck and a banishing light in the sideboard. I feel like people have been slow to recognize that it's just a better Oblivion Ring. Yeah, I was. Um, I've been playing Oblivion Rings for a week or two just because that's the only thing that I owned at the time. But Sean pointed out that. With Oblivion Ring, if it resolves, you must take something. So 
if you're casting it onto an open board just to get a draw trigger, then you actually have to take one of your own permanents. Or, like, against a Miracles player with just a top, they can just flip the top. So, Banishing Light, since it's a May ability, you get to cast it and just, you know, pay three mana to draw two cards, essentially, which is, you know, just sometimes what you need. Um... I do have an Oblivion Ring in the sideboard, but that was mostly availability issue just because I couldn't find any light on site because it's not in standard anymore, apparently. So Star City didn't have any on them. Oh, yeah, I did. I'm now seeing your Oblivion Ring. Well, yeah. So, yeah, it was a pretty fun time. I wish you had a top eight, but at least we had one of our friends in there. Sam was on Miracles, and he made it into the top eight. Yeah, Sam did very well. Um... At our locals, he always, you know, seems to at least 3-1. I mean, he's been playing Miracles for, I want to say, around six months or so, and he's been doing pretty well. I know he's been playing just Counterbalance in general for a while. So it's good to see that, you know, his hard work comes to fruition, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, yeah, let's talk about that one play uh, when I watched you against that guy Joe. Uh, Lassette, yeah. <laughs> when, when you... Uh, activated your Sterling Grove, and with that on the stack, you cast Enlightened Tutor. Let's talk about that play. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I pretty much had the game locked up. I had, you know, a million enchantments in board. I think my uh, Sarah's Sanctums were tapping for, like, 15 or 16 mana. And, like, in my mind, I just wanted to shortcut finding two things, and I was going for the Rip Helm kill just to finish the game off, because I hadn't found an Emrakul at that point. And... I tried to, you know, I, I said, cast this, draw triggers on the stack, crack Sterling Grove, cast um, cast Enlightened Tutor. And he was like, uh, I tried to take it back, and it's fine. Like, I mean, I understand that, you know, I paid the cost and cast the spell. So he called a judge over, and the judge was like, would you like to have him take it back? And he's like, not really. <laughs> so just kind of like me zoning out there and just trying to, you know, quickly finish the game. It was game three at the end of a seven-round tournament. Yeah, definitely. So, but, I mean, I, I even even though I just fucked up and had all my triggers just resolved poorly and everything, it didn't really matter because he was locked out of the game, and eventually I just found Emrakul and he scooped up, so. Yeah, you always got to clown your friends when they make some goofy play. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, nothing against Joe. He's a good player. I mean, I know he's pretty well-known in the community for playing Miracles, so I just think it was a pretty poor matchup for him. Yeah. It's kind of like playing against Enchantress, I guess, for that deck is somewhat similar to playing against 12 Post, where your deck is slow to kill them, and this deck has so much inevitability that there's really nothing you can do barring just having a crazy sideboard against the deck. Like, Evan, would you say that you've been crushing Miracles when you play against them, or...? Yeah, but I actually lost to Joe, um, mainly because uh, in the last game I forgot my Glacial Casting Trigger. So that's it, basically. I had been uh, doing really good with all my triggers all day, and then uh, it was just over to the left, um, and I just kind of like aped it and went to my draw and forgot to pay it, and uh, that was that. Um, he had Mentor out um, with, like, four tokens. I would have got there. I had the lands. Um, it's just, you know, misplay, misfire. I lose. 
So, um, but typically the first game we and him had, he had the gas. Uh, it seemed like I think Andrew, you saw me and him playing the first game. Yeah. Um, I mean, he had like he had done a he countertopped me on prime time with terminus. Ooh. Um, <laughs> and he countertopped my show and tell with mentor. Um, so there, there was a few times where he had gotten me pretty good. Um, so it's, I, typically it's a beat down, um, on miracles for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, missing that glacial chasm trigger was pretty much death row. Um, and, uh, he did have super gas, um, the first game, um, was pretty surprising, but it happens, you know. So, and then he went on to face you, and you took him out. Um, yeah, we faced him last round, and I kind of felt bad because I think if I had just scooped to him, he may have had an outside shot at top eight. But at the time, I wasn't sure that I was completely locked out, so I just wanted to play it out. Plus, I knew I had a very, very positive matchup, so I thought there's not really much reason for me to, you know, just scoop. Yeah, he was a good player and a good dude. Yeah, uh, Evan, one of my favorite plays I watched of any of your matchups was when you cast Show and Tell, and you put in prime time, and, and your opponent puts in Grove of the Burn Willows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and your time playing Show and Tells in the deck has it ever, has it ever backfired? And if so, actually, yes, it's, it's perfect timing. First of all, I really don't like Show and Tell as a card in general, like. I just, I don't know. I I I like casting it with show and tell, and like like casting it with prime time in situations where it's necessary to like get me out of something. Um, when it's really lame is when you just you know cast out Eldrazi. It's like definitely not the plan for twelve posts. Like, like if you have a hand and it's like show and tell based, it's it's pretty much a mulligan unless you have like top or brainstorm, There's some sort of card you know, manipulation. Um, but, yeah, like, actually with Josh, with his Enchantress deck, on, like, turn three, I just, you know, I wasn't thinking about Eldrazi and Enchantress and Show and Tell, <laughs> and he dropped Eldrazi uh, against, I think I did Eldrazi or, I, mean, I think I did, um, sorry, uh, Emrakul. He did Emrakul against, I think, like, Kozilek or something. I think he made a Platinum Imperion against me. Oh, yeah, okay, Platinum Imperium, yeah. That's what I'm playing, Platinum. Um, yeah, and so that's just, I kind of like looked at my cards and just kind of said, wow, and yeah, that was that. Was <laughs> so, yeah, that that has happened. That is, actually is the only time that's happened um, that I can recall where, <clears throat> you know, something like that would happen. I mean, Omniscience is where it probably has the best opportunity of happening, but it's just not a wise play to drop show and tell against that deck. Usually fishing for like Transphere or Thorn or something. Yeah, I really like uh, Transphere. Do you, how many do you, those do you play? Uh, I play uh, three in the sideboard. Okay. Yeah, I really like that card in your deck because, I mean, you generate just insane amounts of mana, so you can just drop it and not really affect your own game plan, but show and tell decks really struggle to like, especially Omni for the guys still playing that deck. It seems like they struggle to beat that card. Yeah, it's really strong. I mean, I have no time just dropping lands, you know, and passing for at least a couple turns. Yeah. 
I was playing Orbs of Warding in my sideboard. Um, How'd that do for you? I was really stoked, man, because I was going to play it against Lompox. I had it all set up, and uh, he dropped the Wasteland and killed it off, uh, and then went just basically destroyed what I had going on. That was that game that I went down to just an island. Ugh. So that was... I had basically gotten to that stage where I was going to get that card out next turn, and then he just wasteland Liliana and just start. And then you know he had the long engine going from that point. Um, so yeah, I went from basically about to be hexproof to just almost a flawless victory. Mm. That's kind of what I've always found from playing permanent based anti discard cards is you can never get it out as fast as you need to. I think I need to run two candelabras. It's just, you know, I'm only running one, and I wasn't running any trinket, trinket mages, so that was, like, I think two, two misconstruction errors. Um, I think the... Sorry, I'm just looking through my deck right now. You can edit this out. Didn't you um? Didn't you get a and a yeah? You got that expedition card or whatever the scalding tarn. Did you ever uh? You moved that right? Oh yeah, about that. Yeah, I did. Uh, I moved that out, and I'm getting the second uh, candelabra. There's just like times where like the candelabra is a lifesaver. Like once it's really online. There's a game I played against Andrew. Um, where it's just having like like three cloud posts out, and one of them's tapped and you get a candelabra out and you can cast Ugin, you know, like real quick and just having like that flexibility with just, you know, one one forest or a tropical island and, you know, some posts going and you can get prime time out. I've had like sometimes it seems just like not strong enough card, but I just feel like the the deeper I go into the deck, the, the more I can find its uses. It's it's really like a lot of the game with twelve posts is Kind of like I feel like bluffing cards and knowing when to drop your one drops because you know you're facing a lot of counter magic and possibly chalices and you know what do you want to get countered you know what do you want to keep you know and how is that going to lead you um, just so many detailed interactions with twelve posts where it's just kind of live or die you know just on one detailed play yeah um, so candelabra sometimes seems slow but. I've been having a lot more luck. I've been picking up the luck with it <clears throat> lately, so I'm thinking that two would be better, and um, I've added two mages in, so I'll probably get the second candelabra in, but yeah, I sold off the expedition for 350 and picked up, uh, I just picked up two Flusterstorms for 86 bucks off eBay. I just won the bid tonight, which is crazy. Um, yeah. Didn't realize they were that high. Yeah, they're like, I mean, I think they're like $50, $60 a piece now. I mean, I can't, I couldn't, I mean, I've been looking for like a month. I just really don't want to fork money over, like that much money over for that card. You know, I just, something about it. I'm just like, uh. You don't like the narrow $50 spell pierce? Right. I mean, it's a great card, but it just, I just feel like, a, I feel like, a, I just feel like I'm getting scammed or something off paying for that. <laughs> But I mean, it's just it's a necessary evil, and the price is right for that. But I'm converting the 350 from the expedition for a couple fluster storms, uh, another candelabra, um, 
So I'm hoping to get the candelabra around like 220, like kind of beat one or, you know, whatever. Um, and then like some other, you know, $50 card. And then like that seems legit, like, you know, like, uh, the best way to kind of like go about opening an expedition, in my opinion, for like eternal, you just flip, I guess expedition's down to 200 bucks now, the one that I, Scalding Tarn or whatever. Oh, yeah, flipping it for 350 seems like a great deal. You, like, you get to turn it into essentially, like, four or $500 of value, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, so that, that was awesome. But, yeah, then, then I got pretty much every single thing I could need for that deck. Um, so, yeah, that's it. But I'm going to keep playing that. Um, I, was gonna, I was thinking about playing Nick Fit for the tournament, which I think actually would have done pretty well. Um, I think a chal. I didn't see any chalice decks there at the SCG on Sunday. Um, I know there was Tesserator. Um, I didn't really see any mud personally. Um, that was about it. Um, yeah, but I, I really saw a lot less chalice than I would have expected. Oh, I think yeah, it would have done really well. Considering our like local meta, definitely a lot less. Yeah, I saw one mud player. I think he was at the lower tables, and he had a lodestone and a trinisphere out. And I don't think he knew how it worked, how those two cards work together. And his opponent was asking about it because I, I I could tell his opponent was holding force of will, and he had to call a judge over to figure out that yes, force of will was going to require you to call, tap three lands when you only have two in play. <laughs> But I just wanted to lean over and say Trinisphere always requires you to tap three, and Trinisphere always asks last. So Redstone is not going to make your spell cost one more unless it's a three-casting cost spell. Right. It's not like you cast Force Will, pay three for the Trinisphere, pay one for the Lodestone. It's not like you just pay one for the Lodestone, and then Trinisphere says you must pay two more. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Trinisphere asks last. Sean (laughs) O'Brien. Any, well, uh, anybody been brewing anything up lately to play or just been kind of getting ready for the Star City? Or I did build Burn. Uh, yes. Brewing, yeah, number one deck to brew. Yeah, I'm brewing Burn right now, I'm trying to decide on the flex slots between, uh, you know, Rift Bolt seems okay. and <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all about that shard volley life, man. Uh, Flame Rift is pretty good. I don't know, people aren't playing Flame Rift right now? I Sure, maybe. <laughs> I, I've been telling people I'm de-evolving because I have all the cards I never need to play Legacy, and I'm playing a burn deck. Yeah, go out and buy your Imperial Recruiter so you can play your learn deck, and then you're like, oh, I'll just cast Lightning Bolts. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I have a Shardless Bug together. I'm thinking about bringing a deck that's like one of the top tier Star City kind of decks to our local sometime soon and start just playing that regularly just so we can have actually someone there who plays a, a, a tier one deck. Yeah. You uh, you have well, Jun, right? You have like Punishing or Groves and stuff? Yeah, I got, I got Jun, but maybe I'll try Shardless for a while and see if it's any fun to play and perhaps everyone can get some testing against a deck that they see in the big tournaments. Yeah. You could uh, try out the four-color version of, like, Punishing Fires, Groves, Blood Braids, Shardless, Ancestral. Get real greedy with it. Uh, just seems too greedy for my style. 
I don't know about you guys, but there's there's certain strategies that are certain cards that like when building decks, I just don't want to lose to. And one of those is Blood Moon. I just I would feel humiliated to lose to a Blood Moon. Yeah, especially up there, you know, there's always going to be somebody playing Maguses or Blood Moons or something. There's just a lot of hate for greedy mana bases at our store currently. Yeah. Yeah, that the uh, what is it? The blood and taxes, imperial taxes, the red white. Yep. That that one is pretty vicious. Uh, do you guys think that deck has longevity, or do you think it was more of a flash in the pan? Oh. Um, go ahead, Evan. There you go. Ahead. Okay. Um, my thoughts on it are that like when they started brewing it, it was kind of when treasure cruise and all that was going on. So. Now that that's not going on, I think they might just revert back to the old death and taxes list, especially since uh, Sneak and Show should be poised to make a decent comeback here, so you don't really want to blood moon your own Caracas and stuff. So I think that it might just revert back to the mono-white death and taxes builds and save the imperial taxes for another day, but I'm not, I don't think I've ever played the deck, so I could just be wrong there. I mean, it seems real strong um, as far... I mean, I feel like almost Omniscience was probably... A, I mean, anything that's playing all basics seems like, you know, it can hold up against it for the most part. I feel like it takes out a lot of the creature decks. I feel like it's pretty well positioned. I just think the classic build, though, is just cleaner and kind of right to the point. I don't know if it really needs the extra moons and whatnot. I think DNT is really strong as it is. Um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, like now that there's maybe less mono, I mean, now we're just down to, like, elves. I mean, there seems to be a lot of... Like, when I was playing, I didn't see a ton of basic lands on Sunday. Uh-huh. Um, so, I mean, that sometimes, you know, as everyone knows, so one when I win, you know. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like the deck, you know, Blood Moon's great against non-basic lands, but Death and Taxes already is pretty good against the greedy mana bases because they're having, you know, their tax effects, they have ports, they've got wastes. Yeah, and you're turning it all off with the Blood Moon, which I feel like kind of defeats, you know, yeah. some of that, the, the classic builds, like, strength and synergy across the board. Yeah, it seems like you're just making your good matchups better, and it's not helping your bad matchups like Elves. I mean, you do get to run something against Elves. Uh, Sudden Demise, I think it is, the Red X spell, but I'm not sure that's worth it. 50 cents. Yeah. Well, being that we've had two, I think it's two large legacy events in the States, that is, since the banning of Dig Through Time, do you feel like it's too early to tell which deck is going to be the most dominant force, or do you think things are are going to kind of be as they have been for the last couple of weeks with, we've got a couple copies of Storm, we got Shardless Bug, Esper, Miracles, is it going to be pretty much that, or is it going to shift drastically? Um, well, let's see. Like At the Star City, it seemed like the top tables in Atlanta, at least, were filled with just Miracles, Elves, and Infects seemed like pretty much the top tables for the most part. And, I mean, Miracles, of course, is probably just going to stay, you know, a Tier 1 or whatever deck, and Elves is probably fine, just as it was before. You don't They don't have to deal with the Omniscience decks anymore, really. So they stay pretty good. And then Infect, I think, is really... I think it's really good right now. I mean, you get to have, like, the 
kind of plan that Delver has, land a turn one threat, then daze and force your way to a win, but you can just win on turn two. So it can just come out of nowhere and beat anybody, and I think it's well positioned against, like, Miracles and maybe even Elves. I'm not really sure in that matchup, but just in general, I think that deck is really good right now. I'm not sure if it was really a thing before the cons, uh, you know, the Delve spells came out, so it's like everybody says, we've reverted back to pre-cons meta plus Gurmag Angler and Tassiger, but I think that Infect is here to stay. I don't think it's it was just a meta predator or anything. It just seems like a really powerful deck right now. What was the deck that eventually took it out? Because it, it fell off for a minute. What was it? Wasn't it on uh, the blue, white, red stone blade decks with all that removal? Yeah, getting you know the plethora of one mana removal and sword supply shares and lightning bolts is pretty good against Infect. I imagine that deck will probably come back soon. Uh, yeah, I could see it. it. I think it has decent game against Miracles and Infects and probably Elves. I mean, you can run... You have so many good sideboard options. You, you get Red Blasts and all that. just kind of depends on, I guess, how you want to build the deck and play it. Well, you guys got anything else you want to talk about? Um, I mean, not that I can think of. I'm not really brewing anything right now either, just playing Enchantress until I can figure out maybe I'll build a, try to put together some kind of Duretti Vice deck, but that seems awful, so. Yeah, I saw I saw a, uh, a 50 or 60 person tournament in Europe where a guy top-aided with a list, it was blue-red, had four days undoing and black Vice. Uh, it seemed pretty sweet to me, just kind of keep riding the Vice out and refilling their hand. I don't know if that's a viable deck right now or not, but I think I'd like to try it. Yeah, that sounds pretty sweet. I mean, it's played Days and Doing Vices. I guess you're kind of like a burn deck, but Days and Doing can reload your hand and reload theirs to die to vice, and then you can just shrapnel blast away extra stuff. Yeah. That seems pretty sweet. I don't know, like every time anybody talks about tangle wiring people, it just makes me really excited, and I can just go tangle wire, let it die, get it back with a Duretti, and keep them locked down while vice breaks them, but it's probably awful. I don't know, Duretti's pretty sweet, though. I'm sure it'd be fun to play. Yeah, there, I know there was a guy at our local that was playing Duretti and Punishing Fires with Groves, I think. That seems pretty fun to play to me. You guys picked up any sweet cards lately? Not so much. I just got that new Ulamog, you know, and then I just played in pre-release. Uh, I got two Beta Stone Reigns. Nice. Uh, complete. I have four now. There's a guy who left a comment on the source. Did you see that? He's playing Stone Rain and, um, what is it, like Big Red, I think it was. He's, it's a, I think it was Dragon Stompy. Dragon Stompy, yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Man, you know, just knock out your basic with the moon out. It's just fucking painful. Yeah, it Love seems sweet. Yeah, I know last week, um, I think, or not this past weekend, but the weekend before, I think a Mod Catcher Stompy deck top-aided with, like, you know, four mob catchers, like a Kiki-Jiki in it, a Goblin Settler, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the, Sh- the Shatter Gang brothers were both playing Goblins this weekend, <laughs> and neither of them did very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Goblins just, I don't know. I mean, nothing's changed for Goblins. It's still pretty miserable against most everything at this point. If people refuse to respect the true aggro decks, then... You can sneak by a week or two at a big tournament and perhaps do well if you play real tight, but 
a lot of times I feel like you're just going to run into a true name nemesis and a lot of elves, and well, actually seems pretty bad for you. I mean, I'll, I've seen goblins do well various times, and I just feel like it's one of those decks where you just have to be a super tight fucking goblins player that's just, you're in the deck, the deck is you, and you've been playing for a long time, and you know all your triggers, and you know all your matchups, like, down down to the T. I mean, at Eternal Weekend, there was a guy that was 7-0, and seven and 0, you know, with goblins, top table. I think he's at, like, table 4, you know, around 7 or around 8. Um, I think they got, like, 6th and 7th recently at that, was it, Indianapolis SCG? Yeah, I think uh, there was the Mogcatcher, Stompy, Goblin. Yeah, that one you just mentioned, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a bad, I, think, I don't think it's a great deck, but I think it's a deck, like Andrew was saying, you know, like, you must respect the aggro, and, you know, it just has that, it has those moments, you know. Um, it has it has some good matchups for sure, but it definitely, it needs some more juice, I think, to become, like, a real competitor, you know, again. Yeah, and I, th- I mean, I think, like, what you're saying about them being a really tight player, I think that's just kind of a key to when it, playing in these Star Cities is knowing your deck and just, like, that day just playing really tight and not yeah. missing anything. Like, I've played, you know, Dead Guy L2 Top 8 despite it not probably not being very good, but just focusing in for that one day and just playing really well, was it's just key to winning, I think. I mean, you do have to get lucky as well, but just playing better than everyone will generally get you there. I don't think on a Star City meta that, you know, I, I feel like at least me and I think most people in Atlanta are better than 50% of the players at Star City. So it's just a key of not having a lapse and making a big mistake. Yeah. And also not playing Merfolk. Not playing Mer, yeah. Like like I was saying uh, Sunday, I think playing a deck that gives you a chance to actually outplay your opponent is the key. <laughs> yeah. Should have played Mud. I don't know, man. I've played Mud before and just mulliganed into oblivion and told myself I, I need to take a year off of this one. <laughs> <laughs> I almost played like a Sylvan Plug variant. Like, not not actually Sylvan Plug, but yeah, like a green-black kind of build. And I think I actually would have done decently, but eh. Sometimes I just want to, like, just fucking, you know, have fun. You know, choke a few people, you know, ruin a couple of days and call it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Something completely hateful. I don't it's know. Just to shake up the whole meta. I mean, it will shake up some blue players, I guess. I mean, I don't know. And I, I just, I like just having fun. And Titania is actually a really good card. I don't know. I just hate playing decks that everybody else is playing. It's just fucking drives me nuts. Yeah, I think Titania is a pretty real card. I've always wanted to play it in, like, a Nick Fit build or something with, I don't know, Sylvan Safekeeper or just, you know, Wasteland, anything. It doesn't matter. That card's really awesome. Yeah, she's sick with, like, City of Traders and Fetchlands. And I feel like if you do the Soul Land package and you go for, I mean, like, you can, like, put, like, Natural Order in there, you know? Like, yeah. With all the Green Sun Zeniths and... There's like a nice little like toolbox kit. I mean, you can throw like a Baruch in there, I guess, and then like uh, the Colonial Hydra, whatever that guy. <laughs> four four trample doubles counters. Yeah, uh, for a while there, I was trying to brew um, like a mono green deck with the Soul Lands, Green Suns, and like in, 
not um, painter, so you can like natural order for Emrakul. Yeah, yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I mean, yeah, yeah, the Mox diamonds are key in that. With anything with Titania, I think needs. I mean, I think it needs Mox diamonds and soul lands, but I mean, yeah, definitely, right. I feel like Mox diamond is that is key. You know, to get you there, you gotta, you know. Get the, get, get the lands in the graveyard and get your guys moving. I mean, I've had turns where I put out four, five, uh, five threes, you know, just right there. So, like, poop them out and tell your opponent good luck? Yeah, exactly. And that's, like, with no other gimmicky cards or tricks, you know. It's just... Yeah, I think that's the key with, like, some of these weirder combos is that the cards kind of need to be able to work alone. Like, Titania is just a great value creature, so you can combo her with other things that are also just naturally powerful cards, and that way if you don't draw the whole combo, you still have a decent game plan. Yeah, I mean, Sylvan Safekeeper is sick with her, you know. I mean, I was thinking, like, I mean, you might even be able yeah. There's a lot of nice, nice ways to go about it, but Sylvan Safekeeper is pretty sweet with, Titania, obviously, but you might be able to do some sort of, like, Dark Depths kind of lands twist. I don't know. Just being able to cycle through lands with the loan package and whatnot, but I just went with, like, I was doing more like a Deed and Abrupt Decays and, you know, Mox Diamonds and I almost thought about putting, like, a Gurmog Angler in there too, just for backup, you know, Armageddon. You know, just like Armageddon, like play a swamp and Gurmog Angler. <laughs> you know. Crop rotation with Titania seems really sweet. Yeah, yeah, it is for sure. Because I was, I was originally doing the, um, like the like when I was playing on the locals for a bit, I was, you know, like that Juzom Stompy deck I had. Um, it's like basically I was doing like the Chalice because of the Soul Land build. So that kind of shut down the whole t- the crop rotation. So I was just doing like a couple like uh, Sylvan scrying, oh, okay, um, yeah, just to get around the chalice. Um, but I think it might be more appropriate to just do chalice in the sideboard and just kind of try to go ham pretty quick. Um, yeah, because with like a Titania crop rotations, at least you know you can go destroy your own land with crop rotation, get a trigger, get a fetch land, get a trigger. Like that's you know. At instant speed, that seems like you can just get somebody out of nowhere with that thing. Yeah, I mean, you can make trigger out like city of traders, and you know, get a get a wasteland and deck out your own land sometimes. And oh man, there's just there's just a lot of ways to you know with the fetch land, you can just hold back fetch lands knowing Titania is going to drop. You know, so you can just really get a whole bunch of dudes out. Um, yeah. It's it's really got some it's got some cool maneuvering to it, but I mean it's nowhere near anything tier one or whatnot. But it's, it's <laughs> fucking fun to play, you know. Yeah, that's the key. Yeah, like you have a blast playing it, and there are some like some lines that are pretty interesting. So I don't know. I had a guy when I was playing with Ice Storm. I had a dude force a will me Ice Storming my own land, a bug player, that sparks <laughs> it. Yeah. The value. Yeah, it was I mean it was life or death at that point. I mean, this <laughs> fucking shitting juggernauts <laughs> run him over, you know. Well, 
Mark my words. I'm playing a brainstorm deck at the next big tournament. Don't let me play anything else. We'll try to talk you out of it. Maybe just play Merfolk with Brainstorm. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just want to top eight one of these things, but I just can't get away from suboptimal decks. I mean, you've gotten a couple top 16s, haven't you? Yeah, maybe one or two, but I just want to – I don't know why. I, I don't even know why. Like, I don't I don't care about the recognition or anything. I just – I like. I feel like I owe it to myself to just play tightly all day long and just make it into the top eight of a tournament. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just nice to get there and just have the relieving feeling of knowing that you put in all the work and now you're getting paid off for it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Bug and Rock are pretty, you know, rewarding for decision-making. You know, they can usually, you know, you can... I feel like it's one of your best chances of just anti-variance. Yeah, Rub Delver seems like that's probably, if I were really trying to, like, win an event... I think Rub Delver would probably be really high on my list probably to play. You know, call me crazy, but I'm actually pretty excited about how things are shifting right now. I mean, granted, we we pretty much played this le- exact version of Legacy about a year ago, but it's just nice for things to change up a little bit right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, and I'm starting to enjoy Legacy again. Like, I mean, I just didn't really enjoy de- Dig Through Time and... I'm glad it's gone, so it's kind of nice to... It's just a refreshing feeling, I guess. Like, I really enjoyed the meta before Dig and, you know, Dig and uh, Cruise came out, and it's kind of reverting back to that and feels a little more open now, I guess. Like, I mean, sure, if you play a non-blue deck, you lose to the variance, I guess, a little more, but I don't feel like I'm totally just beaten down by the blue because they can get the card advantage back. Yeah, yeah I mean, it just shut down, like, all the... A lot of the tools of non-blue players, you know, just, oh, in my graveyard, cool, discard, cool, fine, you know, destroy my land, sure. Like, are you done, you know? Have you wasted all of your resources? Okay, I'm going to dig. Yeah. (laughs) Take these other two cards and you're dead, you know? Typically that was the, I mean, not always the case, of course, but it was just no fun. I mean, like... It's just definitely like a feel bad card, you know. I think more than like a, like oh, you definitely earned that good game, you know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Josh. Oh, I'm just saying, I'm definitely excited to like start trying some new things. I mean, I get to play like Frexina Broker again because instead of having to deal with omniscience, they're playing sneak attacks and stuff again. So Frexina Broker, I feel like gains a lot of value in this new meta game. I think Maverick's fine right now. I think Maverick can do well. I don't think it's the best deck, but. I have, I have faith in Maverick moving forward. I not can as, see that. Not like the top, top dog, but definitely like a fighter in the cage, you know? Yeah. I mean, when I looked around at SCG, man, everyone was playing a different deck at two different points. And it, and it wasn't that there's a contending point where everyone was playing the same deck when I looked around. I just remember the two times that I did look around when I was at the tables, just everyone was playing a different deck. And yeah. The guy I was playing against at one of the moments, like, was thinking the same thing, and he commented on how healthy the meta was. And it was, it was, it was, it was super healthy. Like, you had, like, a mix of blue with non-blues, and you had different archetypes, and it was, it was definitely refreshing just kind of to add on to what you were saying about post-dig. 
Yeah. I mean... Well, I mean, if you can completely ignore the brainstorm bias of the top eight, then I'll, I'll agree with you that it is diverse, but everyone does seem to pretty much be running four copies of that still. Yeah. I mean, I've accepted at this point it's not going to go anywhere, but I don't know. There's a, there's a little more infect in elves that I feel like games I lose against them, I can outplay my opponent all I want, but it doesn't matter because they just draw so well. I mean, those game, those decks are not decks that I enjoy playing against, so I'm just biased. I think they're very powerful and very good, but those are the only two decks that I guess I really just do not like playing against right now. Yeah. The only Brainstorm deck I've ever played is 12 Foes. It's probably going to be the only one, really. I just don't like Blue, man. <laughs> I've played Storm, so I can't really say anything. I enjoy Storm. Yeah, you're good, Storm. You guys hated me out, so. Really? <laughs> I didn't hate you out. I was playing, like, Depths then, like, Turbo Depths. It was like when Greg Mitchell was trying to jam Tin Fins and Storm at our meta and everybody just started bringing chalices and shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think the first time I played you, though, you were on Storm. Probable. I don't know, Andrew. Well, I think you just jam learn at the next event, man. I don't know. I mean, I've been playing it. To, every time I play it at our local Legacy Tournament, I have success with it. I've been talking with this dude, Alex, from, I think, I don't know if he's from Minneapolis or somewhere around that area, and he's placed in the top eight of uh, a star city recently. And he's been telling me about the matchups, but for some reason I just felt like there was going to be so much him to Turok at this tournament. And I just think that that deck might just fall apart to a couple of him to Turoks. Yeah. I got hit with him three times on Sunday. I won all those games surprisingly, but I think it is like a backbreaker worth protecting yourself. I guess hindsight is twenty twenty, but people don't know how to play against Allure, and it's it's pretty sweet. You get to play all the cool cards. Yeah. You get to play Strixes and Recruiters and all that good stuff. It's awesome. Yeah. I think Murfolk would have been a better choice with the Omnitel meta. Uh, I don't know if it's well-placed as much as it was now, like, post-dig. Yeah, I can agree with that. You know, I feel like you, you know, it's just the main board Chalice and Island Walkers and Merfolk doing well just seems to me to lead to just, you know, the Omnitel meta more than anything. And Grixis as well, you know, like Grixis and Omni were just, you know, over on overload. So it's a good time for Merfolk for sure. I think it's still a good deck. I think, I don't know, Merfolk's sick. I love River Merfolk. <laughs> Merfolk Assassin. Is that a... Does he destroy things or something? Destroy the creature with Island Walk. Team <laughs> so it up with War Barge. For the mirror. Create a blue Royal Assassin. Two cards. With activation cost. Large <laughs> activation cost. <laughs> I need you guys what? to uh, help me break this card restore here. Restore what? It's just restore. Green, one, sorcery, put a land from a graveyard onto the battlefield. It's like a mini loam, except it puts the land straight onto the field. Huh. It's kind of like, what's that card? Uh, petrified field? Yeah, it's a, it's like a petrified field, except instead of hand, it goes to play. All right, I'm looking at the card now. 
it's unplayable. And this card is <laughs> this card is a sorcery, and with all the death right floating around, you target a land, and they're just gonna eat it with the death right shaman, and you like it's just this it seems bad. Yeah. Well, it's from any graveyard, so you can get your opponent's graveyard. Oh, that's I didn't see that. So you're gonna know. grab one of their fetch lands that might not even get, grab the color mana you need. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. More power to you. Please brew so we can talk about it on the next episode. Yeah, me and me and Wu were talking about if you're on the draw, you play your death right. They play like two non basics. You go like wasteland, death right, get your wasteland back with restore, wasteland them again. So you're on the draw and they have no lands and you have a land and a death right. That could be good, I guess. Yeah, I mean it does offer some ramp. That's for sure. Um, land destruction ramp. That's all I'm thinking. I'm just thinking Ice Storm. Wasteland. <laughs> I don't know. Card's probably awful, but I want to play it. I picked up a couple copies of Ankh of Mishra the other day. I'd like to build a deck with that card. Uh, um, yeah, that's classic, man. It's a classic card. It's a shame they're white-bordered. Yeah, that is a shame. You may want to get a Sharpie or something just to just to please the eyes. Yeah. Is there any card that, like, returns all lands from graveyard to play, like, including your opponents? Feel like putting an Ankh on the board, then just casting that and forcing them to return their whole graveyard to play? Maybe kill them with that? Yeah, just, like, bad scape shift deck or something? Yeah. Maybe maybe it's completely awful, though. I don't know. I also picked up a copy of Night of Souls Betrayal. You guys familiar with that one? Oh, yeah. That's a great card. Yeah, I didn't have a copy of 101 for a while, so I bought it. Seems pretty good right now with all the elves floating around. Yeah, elves, and I don't think Infect in a million years can ever beat that card. Oh, yeah. Well, gents, seems like we're kind of running out of gas. Do you guys want to kind of wrap it up soon? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I can't really think of much, so. Maybe we could end the show talking about a card that everyone feels is underplayed at the moment. I think that might be a cool idea. You got any cards in mind, Josh? Um, I could say, like, I guess Sulfur Elemental, I feel, is a really powerful card. Like, I think Death and Taxes is going to come back, and our store lo- local meta's got uh, Maverick coming back, so killing Thalia's for a man that doesn't get taxed, plus he gets her on Counterbalance and kills Monastery Mentor tokens against Miracles. I think that's a, that's a card to look at. Yeah, I could see that. I love that that card has flash and split second. Yeah, getting around counterbalance is sick. It's just awesome. I love well, Diabolic Intent. What a sweet card, man. Like, I feel like that's just underplayed, man. Fucking Demonic Tutor, you know, like, all the, like, little extra crappy cards, like, creatures you can get out of Legacy. I, I think it's good. I mean, it's, it's so good, obviously, in Nick Fit, um, but... Yeah, a little more play outside of just Nick Fit. Yeah, that dude Alex that plays a Learn plays a single copy in his main deck, and uh, I've been testing with it, and it it always plays out really nicely. I mean, you you always have a dude on board you don't care about, and you can like cast Shardless Agent and Cascade into it, and just go get the last piece of your combo you need. Like, uh, I think yeah. it's very very playable in a certain type of deck. Yeah, right. Yeah, the card just, it's very powerful. Like, it definitely just 
kind of needs that shell, and I think it could be really good. I mean, I like it in Nick Fit, like Evan said, just sacking a veteran explorer, getting two lands in, getting a card to cast with your new lands. It's so nuts. Yeah. Definitely. Maybe like a contamination deck or maybe, I don't know, some sort of like pox bill, like lone pox with blood gas. Just fucking... You know, anything you can just kind of, like, dump a dude. I think, you know, even with, like, Lingering Souls or something. I don't know. Just Demonic Tutor is fucking one of the most powerful cards in Magic. That There it is, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, just getting a Demonic Tutor in Legacy, you know, it's banned for a reason, right? So. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just, I'm glad that the meta doesn't feel like I'm stifled anymore and I can kind of brew again, so probably start... All this talk of Titania has got me really itching to play it now. You might be stifled on Thursday at our Legacy Tournament if I'm bringing Rug Delver. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) If you stifle my fetches, I'm probably just going to go home. (laughs) So we've got Diabolic Intent, Sulfur Elemental. Shit, off the top of my head. I don't know, I know it's not... It doesn't have much flavor, but I'm still kind of hung up on Days Undoing. I just think that card still has a lot of potential, and I want to play it in something soon. Yeah, I like Time Twister effects. I love drawing seven cards, and just messing up my opponent's plans is awesome. So I, I agree with you there. It's a sweet card, and I would love to see it just do something other than, you know, in the Affinity decks. All right. Well, I guess that wraps it up. Uh, hope you guys have a good night. Appreciate you coming on the cast, Josh. No problem, yeah. Just uh, anytime you guys want me on, just let me know. Will do. Awesome. All right, see you, Evan. All right, adios, dudes. All right, have a good one, guys. See you.